Hi, my name is Nadia Rosemont. I'm with my fabulous co-host, Adam Kewin, and you're tuning in to another episode of Relay Essay. Our podcast is an amazing conversation with student affairs professionals across Canada. The Relay aspect of it is as we interview our colleagues, they recommend another person that they know um, or they're interested in as well for us to continue the conversation about the work that we do. This episode. Yeah. And this is episode three of season seven, and this person that we interviewed was part of a relay from Heather Lane Vitier. And Nadia, do you want to share with the world who we interviewed for this episode? Okay, so in the like summer last year, we were really excited to try to meet with this person. I think we were trying to do it maybe at a conference to make it easier for the three of us. It didn't work. And then, and I think it was last summer, this person got an amazing career opportunity um, to be the president of a university. Um, we got to interview Tim Raleigh, which was amazing. And I'm just tracing back the, the relay, and it goes back to season one where Jennifer Hamilton wow. suggested we interview Arig Al-Shaiba who suggested we interview Janet Morrison, who suggested we interview Heather Lane, who suggested we interview Tim Bromley. So this might be one of our longest relays yet. That's amazing. So we were completing a, a race, a side race, and it was so amazing and rewarding. Um, every interview is. Every interview kind of is great PD for myself and Adam, uh, kind of learning different aspects of student affairs and learning some really good advice, wisdom, teachings from people that we know and may not know, but this one was really uh, amazing to kind of talk to Tim about his career and his current work as the president and vice chancellor of Mount Royal. And he was really fresh in the job, so I also just want to give a huge expression of thanks to Tim who made the time for the chat, because not only was it relatively early in his um, tenure as president, but also there was a lot of really kind of difficult stuff going on at the institution and in the province. So I just really appreciate him making the time for, for our podcast. Without further delay, uh, tune in and listen up to our episode. Thank you. I will declare that I'm not the type to have any yes. It's worth all the shares. The number one podcast is student affairs. Want to hear what they have to say, along with all the guests that have been on the way. For the delay, it's me, they, yes, hey. Okay, we're recording, we're live. Yay! Okay. Yay. <laughs> do you want to tell us your name? I can do that. Uh, <laughs> my name is Tim Raleigh. And Tim Raleigh, what is your current role and where do you work? My current role is, drumroll please, President and Vice Chancellor of Mount Royal University in snowy Calgary, Alberta. Woo! <laughs> our, I know, I'm, I'm turning into a cowboy. Well, that's our number one question, because we were <laughs> noticing that on July 12th, you tweeted that you were going to your first rodeo, so how was it? I know, now I can be like Joan Crawford and say... It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> um, it's my second. <laughs> um, you know, it was actually really good. And um, it's one of these things since becoming a president that I am so not used to. But I was invited by a member of the community, a, a fairly uh, prominent uh, and, and very kind member of the community who is a longtime Westerner. Uh, to join her uh, in some pretty fancy seats at the at the Calgary Stampede, and I got to sit there. And uh, you know, the first thing, kind of, I can't remember which event it was, but I think it's like someone on a fucking bronco or something went out, and it, it seemed to take place in a millisecond. And I'm like, holy moly! And uh, the nice person who took me said, no, that's terrible. They should be able to do that in 8.6 seconds. I'm like, okay, okay, uh, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. And my only reference to that was the Luke Perry movie, <laughs> Eight Seconds. Eight I Seconds. Think? Yeah. That was a, I don't, I like it. That's a cultural reference. That is, it probably happened after 1984. I don't really know what's happened in the culture <laughs> after 1984. That was when I was at my cultural peak. 
Well, that's actually a good leeway because we, we wanted to frame that you're currently in this new world uh, having your first rodeo, but maybe let's take a step back. So um, first of all, it's also worth noting that one Miss Heather Lane is the person who gave us your name as someone to interview. So I wanted to say that at the outset. Love, Heather. Um, so maybe let's go back a little bit. So you did your undergrad at Concordia, right? Correct. And were you local to that area, or did you travel to attend Concordia? So I'm a Montreal boy. Uh, actually, one of my experiences uh, since coming to Alberta has people say, you know, where are you from? And I spent the last 20 years in, in British Columbia, and currently in Alberta, British Columbia is not the most popular place to be from. And um, and so I say, but wait, wait, uh, I'm actually not from BC. And they say, oh, where are you from? And I say, I'm from Quebec. And that gets <laughs> an even stronger oh, yeah. reaction. Yeah, I'm from like the two worst places to be from when you're in Alberta. But my line is, I have an Alberta driver's license. And I am an Albertan now, so uh, it may have only been the seven months, but um, uh, not a poser, but definitely an Albertan. But to answer your question, Adam, uh, yeah, I grew up uh, on the south shore of, of Montreal, and um, I, I, being a Quebecer, I did the, the CEGEP thing, uh, went to CEGEP, went off to Concordia, and then uh, went on to grad school, um, which I can tell you about or you can ask me about, but um, yeah. Yeah, tell us more. Did you always know that you were going to do a, a master's and PhD? No. Okay. Um, well, wait a second. Um, uh, I, I jumped the gun there. Um, okay. I always knew after I was in uh, college in Seja, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. And so um, I knew that I was going to go do that. Um, I was originally studying science um, and took a psychology class as an elective. I thought it was the stupidest class I ever took. It seemed, it seemed like such common sense. I couldn't really understand why people didn't understand what they were talking about. Mm. And then when, the, when the midterm rolled around and I got a really high mark, the highest mark I had in any class that semester, and there was a trail of broken hearts all around me of people failing the test. Wow. Um, I thought, what's wrong with these people? This is so straightforward. And I thought, oh, well, maybe... <laughs> Maybe there's a, a connection here. Uh, maybe I'm good at this. Maybe I should uh, look into this a little bit more. And so uh, I did and uh, kind of changed my trajectory. Um, and so that's why I went on to uh, McGill. And uh, at the time in Quebec, you could become a psychologist with a master's degree. Okay. Um, so I went into a, a, a master's program at McGill that uh, allowed you to license um, after some internships. And... Um, Stayed on and did a did a PhD. What was your dissertation topic? Um, my dissertation, I really switched gears by the time I got to um, uh, the doctoral level, and I studied. Um, I moved to cognition and particularly expert structures um, and how people think about things. And I studied uh, 3M award-winning university teachers uh, to map out uh, what expertise in post-secondary education um, instruction would look like. That's cool. And was that your connection into the kind of student affairs and services world, or were you kind of involved or connected all the way through? So, yeah, again, I thought I was going to be a traditional academic, um, and uh, was a huge disappointment to my doctoral supervisor by not being a traditional academic. Um, uh, so um, uh, I grew up uh, in, in humble circumstances, and uh, as a result, I had to work a lot when I went to school. And when I started um, in college, at Dawson College actually, um, I was working full-time, and um, I found a job on campus. And uh, that was the beginning of my campus life work. And I, I worked in a number of places. I've, 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 you know, glamorous, glamorous work, like filing transcripts in numerical order, um, uh, you know, loading boxes in a bookstore, this kind of stuff. And, um, and so my life kind of took on a very campus-oriented life. And I, I found full-time employment on campus. And I got very involved in student politics and became uh, the head of my campus uh, students, um, uh, student union. 
And um, so that's kind of how I got into it. And even when I went off to graduate school, I continued working and um, I did my internships in colleges and university for in order to get licensed as a psychologist. And um, I ended up teaching um, uh, in a number of places and um, generally got involved in a lot of whether it's on the student um, student affairs side or on the student union side, I got involved in a lot of programs and services mm. around student success. And oh, okay. although I didn't study that, and at the time I didn't even know student affairs was a profession, and to the best of my knowledge in Canada at the time there were new, there were no student affairs programs, um, so I naturally just kind of found myself in that line of work. So it was never the plan. Well, and I was going to ask you about planning. Did you, even if you were kind of falling in and connecting in with the student affairs work, did you have this vision for yourself of one day being a president of a no. university or a college? No, no, not at all. Um, and um, yeah, no, I thought I was going to be uh, a psychologist, uh, you know, probably have a private practice, uh, get a job as a professor somewhere. Um, and I stayed on that track for for a long time. I mean, even when I was just finishing up my uh, my doctoral studies, I was applying for academic jobs and uh, trying to trying to land that. And um, some circumstances in my personal life kind of dictated that I needed to move. So that I, I ended up moving to the to the west coast and um, um, taking more administrative work uh, than than uh, academic work. Um, and then trying to swing back and try to find a happy medium somewhere to try to keep a, a foot in the academic camp and a foot in the administrative camp, which certainly my experience has been universities don't want you to do that. Maybe it's a little easier now, I don't know. But, um, but uh, trying to stay academically active, trying to teach, supervise graduate students, um, uh, and, and, and still, essentially, I became a practitioner of student affairs. Well, and I think you brought a lot of your kind of passion for teaching into the student affairs world, because weren't you also involved with things like CSIS and other kind of training and development pieces for, for caucus or for student affairs in Canada? Yeah, so that's uh, certainly one of the ways that I know the lovely uh, Heather Lane, um, insofar as I ended up being the, the course, course coordinator for the Canadian Institute on Student Affairs and Services. And um, when they called me up and asked me to do that, um, I said, okay, you know, should I sharpen up my CV and write an application? And they mm -hmm. said, no, we're just asking you to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, great. Uh, so what about, you know, uh, you know, who will, who will I be doing this with? And they said, uh, we don't know. Who would you like to do it with? And um, so the two people in Canada that uh, I kind of looked to um, in a collegial relationship, semi-mentory um, peers uh, were Dave Hanna, who was formerly at the University of Saskatchewan. Dave and I had worked together at another institution uh, where he was in he was the registrar and I was in charge of student services. And Heather, who I had encountered um, largely through caucus and, um, and uh, really enjoyed uh, doing that and certainly honored to have had the opportunity to help train, you know, the next generation at the time of, um, of up-and-coming student affairs folks. I really liked how you mentioned like you try to remain academically active and blending the best of two worlds academics and administration. I, I'm always curious like what do you think what do you wish maybe administration and student affairs professionals knew about faculty and what do you wish maybe faculty knew about um, student affairs professionals and administration? Um, well, I think that's a great question because I think that, um, you know, theoretically, I don't know that this is always the case in practice, but theoretically, uh, we're all working at institutions of higher learning that have visions and missions. Um, and typically, that has something to do with educating people. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a cliche, um, but, you know, I don't think we have student affairs organizations with a university hanging off them. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we're integrated, or we should be integrated into, um, 
into helping uh, people uh, get educations and, and uh, get out the door and get on with their lives, says the guy who's barely left university. But theoretically, <laughs> uh, people should, uh, uh, should be able to achieve their personal and their academic goals. So, um, you know, and being a university president certainly is a, a, a different vantage point. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I find myself currently dealing with academic matters and student affairs matters and financial matters and trying to take a, an enterprise-wide look at this. I mean, I think that, that um, you know, we have so many great student affairs people across this country, and I'm, I'm so lucky to have a network of those folks. Um, and I, I never question for a moment that they are very well-intentioned. And they have moved the needle on a lot of really important topics. They've moved the needle on mental health in our society. They've moved the needle in terms of LGBTQ+. Plus. Uh, and certainly most recently, I think the dialogue in terms of trans students has been aided greatly by student affairs professionals. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the Okanagan Charter and all these great things. Um, and uh, as we remain passionate about these things, I think it's really important to think about the value add that student affairs has. Mm -hmm. um, the, the professionals we have in student affairs, what they do that similar professionals who are off campus don't do. Um, and the value add, I think, is really that special university aspect of it. Of course, we want to take care of the most vulnerable and we want to assist people as they move along, but um, I think that's the particularly unique part of, of what we offer. Um, so I think that, you know, that's always something um, I want to be watchful of when I think myself about student affairs, the importance of partnering with academic units on this, uh, having deans and associate deans and AVPs and VPs buy into that, um, those values and those priorities. Um, but similarly or reciprocally, um, I just think it's so important uh, that we got, you know, the, the academics thinking about the whole student, and I think it's just so important for the student affairs people to be thinking about the academic mission of the institution. Yeah, that's true. That's mm. a good point. It's easier said than done, right? Yeah. Um, I think I've been very privileged insofar as, um, you know, being having an academic appointment, being in a, in a, having an appointment in a, in a faculty, and having faculty colleagues and trying to, uh, you know, be a bit of a spy, really, uh, you know, <laughs> kind yeah. of hear what they're saying and go back to my student affairs work and hear what's being said there and see if I can bridge that a bit. It's a bit about unlearning the worlds as separate and more that they could be integrated or combined to help a, the holistic student. Experience. Yeah, and, and, you know, I can't claim to have mastered that yeah. uh, myself or being at an institution uh, where where we have that, you know, figured out. Um, I think even, you know, minor victories largely that come out of the basis of relationships. Um, you know, I think if you have a strong partnership with, with academic leaders, deans, associate deans, etc., um, I think that that really facilitates this uh, quite a bit. Um, but, you know, typically speaking, and not to um, deride presidents or provosts or, or what have you, but um, we all come up the ranks in our own, in our own way, and um, I think that's why I was really excited about the opportunity at Mount Royal, um, because I, I have come up the ranks in a very different way than, than most of my presidential colleagues. Well, and I think um, we were looking at... I think uh, maybe an address that you wrote in a communique, uh, maybe it was a farewell address of some yeah, sort yeah. for a caucus. Our research team found Our research it. team found <laughs> this. Uh, <laughs> that, and you had said it's uncommon for a student affairs person to move into the role of the university president, but then you went on to say that the demands of the president are not too dissimilar to those of a senior student affairs officer. So can you tell us, maybe in terms of your pathway to this role, um, what experiences in student affairs do you think have set you up for success in your role as president? Um, well, I mean, too many to list. Um, I, I guess what um, that, um, you know, one of the things I think that student affairs people typically do well, let's start with the fact that student affairs people are generally people-oriented individuals, people-people. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, while, of course, you know, we all have our own personal characteristics, introversion, extroversion, what have you, um, I think that student affairs people often have to talk to people that are very different than they are. Um, they have to be able to listen deeply. Um, and I think that, um, that uh, it's really about relationship. And um, now, you know, depending on how much you move around or what particular aspect of student affairs you work in, you may be exposed to varying degrees of that. I think people in student affairs that have been in kind of generalist positions in particular um, kind of have to wear a lot of hats. And um, there's also kind of a, a seasonal cycle to what happens in student affairs. You know, we start off with new students. Uh, you know, we go through the stress of midterms, the first set of marks, the, the new beginnings, the, you know, the, the constant cycle of, of the academic um, calendar year. And I just think that that sets people up for dealing with um, students, parents, academics, um, external uh, folks uh, generally um, bring their concerns uh, to student affairs people within universities. I think it's really good preparation uh, for senior leadership in student affairs, for senior leadership in the, in the academy, and, and uh, while it hasn't happened a whole heck of a lot in Canada, um, leadership of an institution. Well, it's interesting because it seems to be happening a little bit more. Like I, I'm noticing that there's more folks who are taking up presidential roles or provostial roles who have that student affairs background. So I wonder if it's those gifts and those talents that you were just describing are becoming more noticeable, say, from recruiters or from boards who are looking for presidents to, to lead their institutions. Yeah, I mean, I think we see it um, certainly, you know, when I was involved um, uh, with NASPA, you know, the American Student Services Association, or one of the biggies, um, you know, they had all these institutes and, you know, the recruiters would come on and occasionally some kind of publication would come out that would say, you know, you know, do you, you know, do you want to be a, a president? And typically as a, as, a, as a pessimistic Canadian, not saying all Canadians are pessimistic, I'm saying I'm pessimistic um, <laughs> at times, I think like that's crazy. Um, you know, in what world, especially if you're in a large research-based institution, are they going to tap um, a student affairs person, um, and in particular, you know, depending on your own, uh, you know, what you did in terms of your graduate school, um, you know, student affairs um, isn't necessarily, uh, degrees aren't necessarily going to garner the kind of academic respect that one, one might hope. So I didn't mm -hmm. think that that was really going to happen in Canada. I couldn't think of an institution in Canada, research-based or not, that had a student affairs person at the, at the head of it. Um, so, um, but we did begin to see some kind of, um, a proliferation of, of, of doctoral educated people, um, in the student affairs world that were moving laterally, um, or moving up, um, sometimes changing institutions, uh, from the biggies to the, the medium size and taking on different roles and leadership roles. So, um, you know, I'm not the first in terms of that trend. I think I might be the first uh, in terms of being president in Canada. I'm not sure. Maybe your crack research team knows better. Love to hear it. Um, uh, but, you know, certainly when I was in process um, for this job, I reached out to those people, um, again, part of the student affairs networking, um, to ask them about their own experiences of making that move. And um, in particular whether they found that they were situated, that they had sufficient support uh, from their boards or they had sufficient respect in terms of their own academic preparation, um, that they were, they were able to, to um, lead the institution. Well, when I went to a, just recently at a conference, there was a session about leadership and presidents and how terms seem to be shorter for university presidents. And I'm oh. wondering if, um, not terms, but the way people kind of play out in their duration in their roles. Okay. Um, and I wonder if like the skills you were mentioning before around um, listening and being reactive to culture and being able to connect with folks and being in relationship are really good skills for someone to have longevity in, in terms of their president's role. That's a question I ask myself every day, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I've been a president for a whopping almost seven months, six months and a bit. 
um, and um, love it. I, I feel like I, I made a good choice, love Mount Royal, um, and um, you know, what an opportunity uh, for me, and I hope that my colleagues at the institution see it as an opportunity for them. Um, I think that um, as I've been reflecting, as I, as I was uh, preparing to, to take on the role, and since being in the role, um, I read an awful lot about presidential transition and what goes wrong or what goes right and, and how, to, how to survive it. Um, and uh, certainly had the, the, the great um, uh, opportunity and the pleasure to have met a lot of college and university presidents in Alberta and across the country in a very um, short period of time. And, you know, my own, um, my own assessment is that it is a difficult job. Mm-hmm. And I see um, some, some presidents, and certainly um, in, in Alberta, we've seen a tremendous amount of turnover in, in presidents. Wow. And um, on the flip side, you see some very long-serving presidents. And I've had the, I, I, I worked for one of these long-serving presidents at my previous institution and have had, you know, the chance to, to chat and say, you know, how do you, how do you maintain this pace for a decade, you know, how do you, how do you do that? Um, and so there's no question, you know, in student affairs, we often talk about, you know, the developmental aspects of this. Um, it's been a long time since I've been in such a, a sharp learning curve and in a, in a developmental phase of, of my life, um, which is kind of exciting on the one hand and kind of daunting on the other. I had a very happy and straightforward life. And, uh, you know, at the age of 53, I, I blew it up hmm. and, uh, and moved provinces and moved universities and dragged my partner along for the ride um, out of a strong desire to, you know, challenge myself and be of service. Hmm. Um, but um, I, I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I really wonder about longevity um, in, in roles like this. What did uh, the onboarding look like for you in that new role? Like, how do you even begin to prep someone to be... Like, here's how you do an expense reimbursement. <laughs> like, how do they... What happens for presidents? Your first three weeks, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that it, that, it, that it's necessarily typical, uh, you know, that every place does it uh, in the same way. I think that... Um, in my case, you know, I want to be respectful to the to the folks here in terms of, you know, what their motivation was for hiring someone as kooky as myself. Um, but uh, you know, I think I think it would be fair to say that any selection committee, and you know, these these processes are epic. Yeah. Right. I mean, these are sometimes year long processes, and you know, my first interview uh, with the selection committee where I am now, I mean, I don't know how many people were in the room. It was more than 25. Wow. Um, and, you know, you got board members and staff and faculty and senators and, you know, um, and everyone's looking for for, for something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was very fortunate insofar as, in my case, um, the board chair um, at the time, uh, who was also the chair of the selection committee, was very focused on um, uh, situating me in a way that I could succeed. Um, so, you know, a big chunk of that is um, getting people information so you can rapidly learn about the, the institution and its culture, mm-hmm. its financial situation, its priorities. But the reality is once you're there, you know, you need people to kind of act as ambassadors for you and take you around and introduce you to people and figure out who who's who uh, on campus. And, um, you know, whenever a new leader comes on campus, whether that's a new senior um, student affairs person or a new vice president or president, there's a lineup out your door yeah. of people who have an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a known issue to them, but not necessarily a known issue to you. And, and um, many of them are, most of them, all of them are probably well-intentioned in their own thinking, uh, but they want to sell you uh, on, on their thinking. And, um, you know, you have to have a certain amount of skills to be able to listen and show interest without committing yourself to something you really don't know anything about. Yeah, that's true. So the transition, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I started on May 1st. 
Um, and I recall it was sometime in July, um, I was at home on a Sunday afternoon and um, my partner, uh, Charlie, uh, uh, didn't move with me uh, initially. He's here now, but at first we, we were commuting a bit. And uh, anyways, I was at home on this, uh, this Sunday afternoon in July, late July, and, um, you know, probably found myself with a couple hours on my hands. And I suddenly kind of, you know, looked up and thought, oh, my goodness, um, this is actually the first moment, it felt like, but the first day that I actually hadn't been working or hadn't had a university event. Wow. And it occurred to me that I was living in a different city and I didn't know anyone. Wow. Um, and it was like, oh, you know, like I've been running pretty fast and furious since I, since I, you know, walked in the joint. And um, all of these institutions, it's not only at the presidential level, all of, all of our institutions will take as much from you as you are willing to give. Exactly. And yeah. um, and so I, I think part of that transition is also really, um, you know, an onus on on self-management and to figure out your own capacity and to set some boundaries. Thanks for sharing that. That's so it's like, yeah, it's a fact. It's true. And it's something that we all have to be mindful of no matter your role, but even more mindful as the president. Um, well, because you can lose it, right? I yeah. mean, think of your colleagues. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, a new professional, if they're a mid-level professional who's changing organizations. I mean, you can really lose your perspective so easily. And, um, you know, I think the risk is that if, if um, you know, your leader has lost their perspective, that leader is really not very good for you. Um, so certainly... Um, I don't want to be one of those guys. And I certainly don't want to be run out of town with, um, you know, pointy sticks and torches and, you know. <laughs> Horses. And I don't, you know, I don't need to be the most popular guy in the room. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly want people to um, have at least a healthy uh, respect for, for what I'm trying to do. And even if their decisions would be different, that they, they can respect that it's a difficult job and that the, the person in it, whether it's me or someone else, is, is really doing their best for the institution. A couple of years ago, I went to a conference session with like AVPs and VPs, and it was really interesting to see the dynamic of like up-and-coming coordinators and managers who were like, I, I really like to be close to the students, in touch with the students. I don't see myself moving up because it takes me further away. And then those people in those roles were saying, actually, you can impact and have more change as you move up. So, like, you know, help with the student experience in terms of policies and agreements and whatever it might be. So now that you're a president, like, what are some of the ways you're hoping that you could stay close to the experience of students? Like, how do you receive feedback from staff, faculty, and I guess student issues? Well, you know, I mean, I think, I think, it, uh, I think we all have our impact um, in our own ways. And I think on our, our personal journeys, you know, I'm not a particularly sappy person, but on, on, on our personal journeys, I think we, we do. I think that we, we know that um, brand new young professionals play a really important role in welcoming students to, you know, new, um, to a new program, a new institution to them. We know that, um, you know, what happens in a workshop or in a career services discussion or in a counseling session or a leader, whatever it is, that these things can be, can be very impactful. And there are people who do that work who are in the right place at the right time and hopefully, um, are liking the role that they've taken on. Uh, there are other people that are really ambitious, and um, you know there are some some generalizations about different um, different generations in terms of this. I, um, along with um, actually Heather Lane and, and and Dave Hanna, and I think I think we had Jenna Luker at, um, um, in on this as well uh, when she was at McGill. Uh, did a session at Caucus a number of years ago uh, that was called something like "So you want to be a Chief Student Affairs Officer, Senior Student Affairs Officer?" Yeah, I remember. And I thought that we'd have a couple people in there. Well, the room was packed, yeah. and the room was packed, and there were a lot of really young and new professionals, which is exciting. Um, and uh, I was taken aback because 
I didn't even know this role existed when I was that age. And um, I would sometimes even casually be at a, um, well, either on my campus or um, at a, at a, um, a conference or have someone, you know, uh, you know, very young, brand new student say, I want to do what you do. And, um, and so uh, to me, that was, that, that was a time when I kind of recognized how the, how the world is changing quite a bit. So I think that where I'm going with this, sorry. It's okay, no, it makes sense. Um, what I mean to say is, I don't think you have to be a manager or a director or an associate vice president or a vice president or a president to have an impact. That's what I'm trying to say. So you can edit all the rest. That's really what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, and, um, and though, I think that there are people who are better suited for some roles. And I found in my own progression professionally that um, while there had been a time in my life when I was predisposed to, I would say, more of a, a high-touch kind of student affairs approach, as I aged, uh, and I, I probably became a, not the right person for the high-touch aspect of student affairs. I could still be caring and do all that stuff, but I could probably be more effective not on the front lines. I could probably be more effective helping new professionals. I could be probably more, more effective trying to influence academic colleagues and the president and the provost of the day, um, how I thought the institution should should align itself. Mm-hmm. So for me as a president, as, as you know, which is a, a, a role um, as much as it is a person, mm-hmm. uh, for me to, to keep that connection uh, I really want to do two things. I want to make sure that I have some kind of a connection with student leaders, um, and I have enjoyed that um, since coming to Mount Royal. Had you know lots of years of good connections at previous institutions, but I also want to really keep a, uh, an eye on, and I, I'm positioned better in this role to keep an eye on what the student experience is inside the classroom. And I think that's really important too. And, and I'm really excited that, you know, at, a, at an undergraduate university that's mid-sized, that I can help shape the dialogue uh, around, uh, you know, excellence in education being one of excellence in terms of teaching and learning in the classroom. And that, in fact, that is, uh, there's no, you know, hard and fast wall between the classroom experience and the campus experience. And, you know, trying to help my colleagues and the student leaders um, to, to find ways um, to be excellent at both. Mm. Thank you. Wow. Um, I know that um, you were very involved with caucus over a number of years. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? <laughs> I can. Uh, <laughs> So my first experience of caucus was probably about 20 years ago. Um, I was, uh, I, I had, um, you know, I, I didn't, um, I was already, you know, 30 or in my 30s um, before really knowing about what the profession of student affairs was. And, um, and I remember going to caucus, uh, you know, around the 2000-ish uh, mark and uh, seeing room full of gray-haired men um, and some um, lo- a lot of, lot of poorly dressed um, gray-haired men <laughs> and um, thinking to myself, of course there were women there, Heather was there um, and Donna Hardy Cox was there and uh, but for the most part, you know, looking around and thinking, wow, look at these people, I think they're all going to die. I think maybe there's some future <laughs> in this profession. Um, and, um, and, and chatting with people about it. And so I was very much, um, on the margins. I didn't know anyone at my first caucus conference. And, um, at the time I wouldn't say caucus was, um, particularly good at bringing new people on board. Um, but I went back the, the, the subsequent year and I decided that I would get involved and that's how I would meet people. And, um, so I got involved under the old structure of caucus where there were divisions um, I got involved as a, um, at the time as a Western rep um, on uh, Student Affairs and Services Association, 
And um, that really was the on-ramp for me to my uh, caucus experience. And I found by getting involved that I began to network and, and to learn a lot of what was happening at other institutions, which I found helped me an awful lot in my own work. And um, so I kind of had a, um, a relationship with caucus where I was kind of in and out. Um, I ended up serving on the executive uh, of caucus at one point for a couple of years um, and then kind of gave it a rest and became just a regular rank and file member. Um, and then I decided that uh, I was approached uh, to run for president and um, thought long and hard about it and thought, yeah, you know, maybe maybe that's something I could do that would be a contribution. And uh, was just trying to figure out timing-wise in my life if it was the right time. And it seemed like the, the right thing at the, at the time and went for it and, and uh, was elected. And sadly, I was not able to fulfill the last year of my obligations as president because I didn't feel that I could be the president of a university and president of caucus. Yeah. It's like Oprah doing her talk show and launching OWN. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> it's, it's just like that. Um, so why, um, I mean, you've been really involved with caucus over the years, and I think involved at a few critical moments as caucus is kind of setting a trajectory over the next few years. And I know you've taken a step back, but do you have any insights on maybe why it's important for folks to get involved with caucus or stay or stay connected even as board members or even as as participants in the community yeah I, I mean I think caucus is a wonderful organization I, I think that um, probably at every juncture that I have known caucus it's always been at some form of a crossroads mm -hmm. and I think that's the case today I think the that some of the, the the changes in the divisional structure were meant to kind of bring the organization into a, into more of a contemporary um, a way of looking at the profession um, and you know using communities of practice um, and I think that there's an awful lot of pressure on this organization. It's not particularly well funded. It's not like some of the other professional associations in the country, like uh, Cabo you know, where institutions are paying an astronomical amount of money to be, uh, it's astronomical by comparison to caucus, um, to be members. Um, and um, I think it's so important. I think, the, I think the work of student affairs professionals is so important and I value it so much. And, you know, there's so many aspects to that work. There's so much emotional labor that goes into that work. There's so much theory, there's so much practice. And so for me, caucus was, you know, um, it was my professional home or one of my professional homes um, to, to really um, restore me, um, both in terms of how to do the work, but just personally restore me because I would be working with or having a chance to speak to people who do the same kind of work that I do. Um, and uh, and it, it just became so very important to me. Um, so I will miss caucus because um, I don't think I'm going to be able to, you know, stay as connected as, as in an ideal world that I would like. I hope to stay connected to many of the individuals. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it's so important for people to invest in the profession. You know, they don't have to become president or serve on the board. Um, and, and I recognize that not everyone can afford to attend the annual conference, but I think there's a lot of information there. I think there's a lot of good stuff on the website. I think the publications are helpful. The monographs are helpful. And for people to recognize that they're part of something. They're not the one person on their campus who's in some kind of broom closet, you know, who takes care of, you know, emotional messes. That's that they're actually part of something bigger. That's so true. Oh, thanks, Tim. No problem. So um, I thought we could move into the rapid fire portion of the interview, if you're okay with I'm that. I'm still trying to think of, I'm still trying to, in the back of my mind, think about who I'm going to recommend you speak to next. And I'm really, I'm, it's taking a lot of mental energy. I mean, there's steam coming out of my ears. <laughs> so, but yes, um, why, why don't we move to rapid fire and we'll see if that dislodges a neuron or something. And, to um, take something out. Um, yeah. These are really hard-hitting questions, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Do you have a favorite food, and what is it? Chocolate. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Last, book, last book you've read. 
Last book I've read, uh, I read Robot Proof, uh, which is a book about uh, having the power of liberal arts and in helping uh, people the, the world with uh, with uh, in professions that won't be replaced by automation. Oh. What? Um, now, I know with your last name, I know it gets mispronounced on the occasion. What is the favorite way you've ever heard your name mispronounced? Oh, good one. Oh goodness! Well, I the 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 one that kind of I I take whatever pronunciation and it happens all the time. I say Raleigh, uh, but the one that the one that I get the most uh, that makes me laugh a little bit is Rahili. 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 <laughs> yeah, I get Rahili because it sounds like really, like you know, Tim really. <laughs> oh, uh, favorite teacher. Favorite teacher? Well, you know, I'm going to go with a little emotional response. My favorite teacher was my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Topham, who's passed away long ago. But I will share with you, and I know it's not rapid fire, that when I was uh, finishing my PhD, I went home. Uh, I was uh, I went back uh, to, to Montreal. I was visiting my parents, and I was in a Jean Coutu pharmacy and uh, in the lineup, and um, uh, some woman was elbowing me or trying to, to kind of scooch through and, and jump the line, and I was about ready to elbow them, and I looked down, and it was like this four-foot shriveled Mrs. Topham, and uh, who looked up, me, look, looked up at me and said, Timmy Raleigh, um, wow. and I nearly melted on the spot, and uh, someone had told her that I was in graduate school and had, was just getting my PhD, and she said, I always knew you had it in you. Aww. And I hadn't seen this woman since I was six years old. Oh, my gosh. So I nearly burst into tears. Oh, Good old Mrs. Topham. Good old Mrs. Topham. That's amazing. I know. Um, if you could go back in time to say something to first-year Tim, just starting first out at Concordia, um, oh. to your first-year self, uh, what would you say? I would say... Um, don't take calculus. <laughs> yes, yes, spread it. That's true. Don't take it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Or at least think about it. Get ready. Study and take it. Gotcha. No pressure, Adam, but every time we have someone that's like French speaking, I like pressuring you to ask them a question en français. Oh. Um, oh, je suis, I'm, no, I'm nervous. I'm always super shy. Mais j'habite à Alberta maintenant. On peut pas parler en français. D'accord. Uh, okay. um, that was good enough for me. The next question is: If you were to create and host a podcast, what would it be about? I think I would be about student affairs. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that makes Amazing. sense. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, though, uh, I've always been passionate about higher education, and um, I think if I had the opportunity right now, I thought about it, actually. I think you scooped me. Um, I, I, think, I think I would have, like, a podcast that would be kind of like the At Issues panel on CBC. Oh, yeah. Um, and but uh, oh shoot sorry that's something's happening on my computer and I would have uh, leaders uh, in student affairs and sometimes guests and just talk about contemporary issues and and uh, and share that with the world. Fabulous. Yeah. Okay, so now the hardest question of all, but you could always get back to us. Who would you? Okay. Who do you recommend that we interview next? Well, I think some of the people I'd recommend you've already interviewed. I mean, I heart, uh, you know, my colleagues at Simon Fraser University. Um, in, and uh, I know you've interviewed Aaron, and I think you've interviewed Marsha Guno. Yeah. You have, right? Yeah. And you've interviewed Heather. Yes. Have you, have you interviewed uh, uh, David Newman? Not yet. No. Why don't you interview David Newman? Hey, a, a, a nice local option. <laughs> well, because you know you work with them, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, you know, I mean, who wants to hear from U of T, right? Blah blah <laughs> blah. 
Joking, joking. Um, but, uh, you know, David has, uh, has been a, a president um, of caucus, and he's um, involved in the International Association as well. And um, so I, I, and also he's moved around. He's been in Alberta. He's been in, in Ontario. So I'd recommend him. That's a good one. Fabulous. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. This was marvelous. And well, it was marvelous to talk to you both. I'm I'm very delighted to have been asked, and I, I guess uh, you know if I if I am am I allowed a parting word? Yes, please. So my parting word would be to my to my colleagues in student affairs and services who toil away. Um, I just want to say that as a, a university president, as a former senior student affairs officer, as a former president of uh, the Canadian Association of College and University Student Services, that the work you do is so important. And I know you'll have rough days, um, but uh, the contribution that you make is amazing. Oh my gosh, that was, thank oh. you. Thank you, Tim. And we know that there's probably a lot on your plate as you're just in the few early months of your of your new gig. So we really appreciate you making the time for uh, for this conversation. No problem. This is a pleasure. Cool. Thank you so much, Tim. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Oh, Adam, that's such a good episode to re-listen to, especially during this time, right? <laughs> like. Yeah. Tim is just one of those kind of rare people who can articulate kind of complex ideas in a way that makes you feel like you're talking to your best friend. Um, and it's no, no surprise that he's been so successful in kind of every role he's taken on. Uh, please show him some love uh, and um, don't feel, don't hesitate to reach out through Twitter. Uh, his handle is at Tim Raleigh, R-A-H-I-L-L-Y. And please include Adam and myself in the conversation. I'm at Nads Roses and at Adam Kewen with the hashtag RelaySA. So thanks for listening. We want to give a shout out to Adrian Ross, who does our theme music. And also just want to give a shout out to David Gidham's podcast, uh, The Student Success Exchange, which is a hard title to say five times fast, but <laughs> don't give it a listen. Uh, it's a really good podcast if you're looking for other Canadian content in the student affairs space. Tune in for our next episode. Bye for now.